0: All right, how we doing? Awesome, it's good. It's good to see you here today and welcome. We're kind of at the midway point of a series we've been in called My Secret Identity. And I don't know if we've actually referenced this yet or not, but how many of you remember the classic 80s Canadian TV show, My Secret Identity? Anyone? Jerry O'Connell? Any? When we're shaking hands on the weekend during those 60 seconds, that ridiculously cheesy song that you're hearing is the theme song to My Secret Identity. Oh, you guys. (laughs) After church, go home and YouTube My Secret Identity and stand in awe of the TV show. It is fantastic. Uh, But we are. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is our identity in Christ. We're talking about who we really are in Christ because knowing who you are will change the way that you live. Truth? And so... What we want is to have a healthy, biblical kind of understanding of our identity, because if we don't, then it's going to affect the way that we live. It's, it's not going to go well, and this is hard. We struggle with our identity. We struggle with trying to find out who we are, and, and what happens is that we end up believing lies from all kinds of people about who we really are. We, we, the enemy lies to us about who we are and we end up believing lies from the enemy, the world lies to us about who we are. The the world is trying to tell us that you need to be someone of this kind of importance, or this is who's smart enough, this is who's attractive enough, this is who's important enough, this is who should have influence. And and we get all these lies from, from the world and from the enemy that says, well, I guess you don't measure up. I guess you're not as important as you thought that you were supposed to be. And And anytime you have this untrue kind of comment come into your head, that is your identity that is under attack. And the enemy wants to do that. Your enemy does not want you to know who you are in Christ. Because as soon as we know who we are in Christ, we become a threat to the enemy. Right? We do. Because all of a sudden now, I understand who I am in Christ. That's that gives me power. That gives me confidence because I'm now standing on the foundational word of God that says, I am blessed and I am holy. I am a child of God. I am a citizen of heaven and and I am more than a conqueror that I am filled with the spirit of God. And I've been equipped and gifted to do supernatural works for the kingdom while I'm here. Amen. That's our identity. The enemy does not want you to know that. And so what he is doing is to try and he's trying to lie to you to tell you, no, 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 that's not who you are. You're not really anyone. You're nobody of any importance. You're never going to make a difference. You're not ever going to be big enough or cool enough. You're not ever going to have what it takes to do anything worthwhile. And, and he wants to fill your head with insecurities and with doubts, with disappointments about who you really are. He wants to really give you an identity crisis. He doesn't want you to know who you are. Jesus wants us to know who we are. And this is why he talks so much about it. All through scripture, the Bible is reminding us, no, this is what it means to be in Christ. And so this is why we're talking about our identity in Christ, because it's incredibly powerful and important. And the main passage that we've been working through is from 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, I know Jamie did this last week. I think we're going to do it again right now, and we're going to put this up on the wall. And we, I want you guys to know this. We're going to force you to memorize it, even if you don't want to. You're going to declare these words. It's going to be good. You believe there is power in the Word of God, Amen. right? There is power when you declare the Word of God, right? Okay, so we're going to say this together. I'm going to read this, and when we get to a bold phrase or word, I want you guys to say it along with me, okay? Yes, yes, okay. It says, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, he can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. And once you have received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. So this is who we are. We are all of those things, and the point of the series is that we're walking through those, trying to figure out, okay, well, that sounds neat, but what does it all mean? And last weekend, Pastor Jamie talked about now that we have been shown mercy, we should be a church that shows mercy. If we have been shown it by God, the point then is that we would now show it to others. The part of this passage I want to talk about today is that first phrase that says, you are a chosen people. We are chosen. God picked us. Uh, How many of you watch award shows on TV? Right? How many of you watch award shows on TV, but you're too lazy to raise your hands in church? Just (laughs) nod your head. Just, okay. Yeah, I know. I don't know why we ask questions. Uh, There aren't all that many award shows. There's just the Oscars and the Grammys and the Golden Globes and the People's Choice Award and the Teens' Choice Award and the Kids' Choice Award, and there's the Screen Actors Guilds Awards, and there's the MTV Music Awards and the MTV Video Awards, and there's the American Music Awards and the Country Music Awards, the Latin Music Awards. It's almost like people enjoy getting awards, right? It's almost like people enjoy being picked or chosen to be the recipient of something that says, you're special. Who doesn't like to be told they're special, right? And so actors and actresses and musicians, this is their dream that that one day someone would call their name, that they'd be the one that goes up onto the stage and gets the trophy, and you picked me! And they'll pretend like they're not prepared. I I didn't expect this. And they'll pull out a speech that they wrote because they weren't prepared. And they'll thank everyone and it'll take too long and the band will play them off stage, which I think has actually happened to me before. The band has come out well before I was done preaching and played me off. But here's the thing, for every person that wins that award, there are like four or five people who totally did not. And I don't know about you, and maybe this says something about me, I don't, I don't know. But I always like that they put everyone's face on the screen when they announce who wins it, and I immediately look at whoever didn't win it to see what their, like, their initial reaction was. Like, I, I want to know, like, did, did someone just, like, swear under their breath? Did someone get angry? But no, no, they're all good. They've all practiced faking it, haven't they? And I'm so happy for them! You're not. You're not happy for them at all. But people have gotten pretty good at faking it. However, there have been a few times in history where that did not go over well. It was a number of years ago that Taylor Swift won the award for best video at some kind of MTV award shows. And it was um, Kanye West who was not thrilled with this decision. And he actually crashed the stage, ran up, and grabbed her microphone and famously said the words now, Yo, Taylor, I'm really happy for you, and I'm going to let you finish but Beyonce had the best video of all time, right? And of course, by this point, everyone's booing, and, and he gets kind of raked through the hole, like, no, everyone's mad at Kanye, and it's become kind of this living meme at this point, right? Like, I'm gonna let you finish, but so-and-so. But he was mad, because his, his pick didn't get chosen. What he wanted to have win didn't win, and he got angry, and he was one of the few people who instead of just, yeah, way to go, get up and said something about it. Right, we, we don't like it when we're not the one who gets picked. We don't like it when we were looked over for recognition we thought we deserved. We, we like to be picked and special and looked at. And I don't know if you've ever been selected to win an award or if you've ever been nominated for something and you got it and you're like, me? Right? And you're trying to be all like humble and you're like, you chose me. And like, it's one of our favorite things. We love it. It doesn't take much for us to get excited about that, does it? But it feels good to be acknowledged, it feels good to be appreciated, it feels good to know that, hey, I gave value to something. But we're not necessarily used to winning all of the things. What we're used to probably is the feeling of, well, I didn't get picked again. I guess I didn't get chosen. I guess I'm the one who got left out. I was the one who was looked over. I was the one who was cast aside. I'm the one who people deemed not good enough, not smart enough, not attractive enough, not powerful enough. I wasn't equipped enough to get the job, and I got turned down one more time. Aren't, aren't we the ones who are familiar with those feelings? We know what that feels like. We have probably never won an Oscar or a Grammy. I don't, looking around, I'm making sure I didn't miss anyone, but I don't think anyone in this room or anywhere else has, has won that, but we do know what it's like to be left out. We do know what it's like to be lonely. We do know what it's like to not be the one who gets chosen. Maybe that's the story of your upbringing. I know that I have had plenty of conversations with people who had a parent that walked out on them, or they were given up for adoption. Maybe they never even knew who their parents were. Maybe their, their upbringing has been fine, but there's still been this nagging feeling in the back of their mind. Why, why didn't you want me? Why, why was I a burden instead of a blessing? People wrestle with that. There will be people at Crosspoint this weekend who all they want is a connection. All they want is community. There have been people whose present-day situation is maybe you moved here from far away somewhere where you had friends, you had a tight-knit group of people, you had family, and now you're here and you're the stranger, you're the one who doesn't know anyone, maybe you've been the new kid in school. And everyone else has friends. Maybe you're that coworker that everyone else knows one another. They all know who they're hanging out with. They all know who they're eating lunch with that day. And you're kind of on the outs looking in, hoping that maybe someone today will make eye contact with you so that you can at least have a little bit of a conversation. We know what that feels like. And we do not like it. You know what it feels like to be the person that doesn't belong. To be the person who's convinced that everyone else has all these friends and I'm the one who doesn't know anyone. I, I know for some people the challenge has been singleness. And, and they're wondering, is, is this what God has placed on my life? Because I see everyone has everyone else. Everyone's got somebody else and here I am. We know what it's like to feel lonely and left out and cast aside. We didn't make the cut. Just, I just don't have a people right now. I don't have a place right now, and if you've ever walked that road, you know it is one of the most difficult things. And yet the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that He came for people just like us. that Jesus is good news for the, the ones who are lonely and left out and cast aside, the ones that the world looked at and said, "You're not good enough, the people who feel like they don't fit in, the people who have always kind of been on the outside, kind of peering in, and, and Jesus says, "No, I came for you." I chose you to be my people. I chose you to be my family. And it is Jesus who gives everyone a place at his table. Here's what scripture says. This is Ephesians chapter one, verse three. It says, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Just think about that for a minute. It's not even what I'm preaching on. It's just really good. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing because you have been united with Christ. Even if you don't hear anything else today, that's pretty good news. You can take that home. Verse four, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fall in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family, by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Did you see all of those words in there? That he loved you and chose you and decided before you were ever even created and born that you were going to be in his family and that he was going to bless you, and he loved it. He just loved doing that. We serve a God who chose us and loves us and has a place for us right this is the moment our name gets called and we get to walk up on stage and receive the award we're like what are you sure like the almighty all-knowing omnipotent god of the universe just mark brewer you picked me from like Peniac, new brunswick fredericton Like nobody? This is who you've asked to be in your family? This is who you're going to give every spiritual blessing to? Why? What have I done to deserve this? Nothing. I just I just love it. I just love you guys. You have been chosen, handpicked by God. Now I do want to clarify what the word chosen means here, because if there are any theology nerds, all of your alarm bells just went off. Um this idea of being being chosen in advance and adopted and kind of picked beforehand. Um, This has been the subject of many theological debates among many theologians for many centuries. And there are kind of two major leanings when it comes to this, and there's kind of the Calvinistic side that says God knows who is going to be saved and not saved. He has elected some to be saved and some not to be saved. And, and if you're one of the elect ones, good for you. And if you're not, I'm sorry about the bad news. These are very oversimplified, terrible explanations, so you can yell at me afterwards. But that, that's kind of the, the Calvinistic leaning and, and kind of the oversimplistic kind of rebuttal to that would be, well, why would God create people that he knew full well weren't ever going to be picked? Why would God create people that weren't going to make it? That doesn't seem like a thing that God, doesn't God open the doors to everyone? So that's, that's kind of one side. The other side would be more of the Arminian side. Wesleyan side is where we would fall into this camp. And it would be one that says, God chose everyone to be saved. And yet some will just turn it down. So it's his desire that all people would get saved, and the invitation is extended to everyone, but there are some that will decline. There are some that just don't want to have anything to do with that, and the oversimplified rebuttal to that would be how in the world could man be stronger than God to to turn down God? If we were really faced with God and salvation, is, is it giving man too much credit when we talk about free will. And who gave man free will? Wasn't it God anyway? So isn't God ultimately the one who's in control? You see how ridiculous and annoying and class-like this sounds right now? Um, So this argument has been fought, and it is still quite a prickly point among many Christians to this day. And maybe some of you have had these conversations. So what I want to say about that this weekend is this. I don't care. I don't care. Right? And that's not to lessen, I'm I'm not trying to minimize theology, and this is fun stuff for theologians to argue about, and write books about, and debate about. Uh, I don't think it really has any bearing on what we're called to do as the church. What I understand Jesus tells us to do is to go out into the world and to make disciples. It's to be salt and light. It's to love God. It's to love our neighbor, neighbor. It is to show mercy. It's to take care of one another. And whether God knows who's saved, and who's not getting saved, and who's elect, and when it happened, I don't think it really matters. My job is to be Christ's ambassador while I'm here on this earth. Amen? (laughs) All right. So so let's just do the work we're supposed to do and do it well. It was Martin Luther who actually said, do you doubt if you're chosen? Say your prayers and conclude that you are. (laughs) In other words, if you love Jesus, great. That's awesome. Go to work. There's still work to be done, right? So this is, today is not about a theology debate. Today is not I kind of don't care. So what we're talking about today is what it means to be chosen by God is just understanding that God chose a people to be his church. God chose people to be his representatives here on earth. And that's crazy. That God chose us to be part of his family. And if anything, this is a corporate choosing, not an individual thing. Right? This, this is about a larger context. In fact, biblically, when we see words like election and predestination and adoption, they're almost always in a corporate context, not an individual one. Even in the passage we just read from First Peter says, you are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation. These are big corporate community words. These are not individual person-by-person words. And so what I really want to talk about today, the, kind of the key idea I want to talk about today, is that our identity in Christ is not solely an individual one, but it is a community experience. Our identity in Christ is inseparable from our community. This is about you and me being the church together. He chose us to be his people. Now, this is a little bit difficult for us because we are hyper-individualized in the Western world, in North America. We are all about the self. Find yourself. Be yourself. You fight for your rights and what you have earned and you demand. It's all about the self. And we kind of glorify self and we put self up on a pedestal. uh, That is not remotely The way that God spoke to his church. That is not remotely the way the early church even began. It was always about a community setting. Um, For instance, no one really in the first century had a Bible. And even if you were one of the lucky Christians in the first few generations, you couldn't read your Bible. I mean, you were illiterate, chances are, for many hundreds of years. And so what happened was that learning the Bible took place in a community setting. Someone would stand up and read the scriptures to a community of people. Um, and, And so when you are sitting there Having the gospels read to you And you hear the phrase you know, And so I say to you What they're saying is Oh, so Jesus is saying to us Jesus is speaking to us as a community What are we going to do about this? How are we supposed to live this out in the world? They heard the Bible as community When Paul, when all the New Testament writers Wrote their letters They wrote them to a community of people And they would be read to a community of people. That's how they understood the Bible. That's how they understood Jesus. This was a thing that we're supposed to do together. This is supposed to be a thing that that we do as a group of people. They would have never fathomed or imagined a world where Christians would kind of live their faith out all by themselves. It's a thing that you do alone after church. That that would have been crazy talk. That was not goal. They they didn't consider their faith to be something that was separable from their community, and in 2017, that should still be the truth. Your faith should not be separable from your community. Fast forward 2,000 years, though, and you hear people explain Christianity as a, that's just a personal relationship between me and Jesus. Or they'll say crazier things like, well, I like Jesus. I follow Jesus. I don't really like the church. not into the church thing. Those are not biblical phrases. That is not a biblical understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, when you follow Jesus, you became the church. So to say, I like Jesus, but not the church, is a little bit of weird thinking. I like Jesus, I just don't like myself. Well, that's bizarre. What if the call of Christ on our lives is bigger than just our lives? What if it's a corporate thing? What if it's a community, family thing that we do together? Because we've been talking about our identity, and every time we've used the word identity, you have thought about it as yours. You have thought about it as an individual. You have thought about it as yourself, but as followers of Christ, our identity is also a community thing that we experience together as the body. And it is a unique thing on the planet that the church has this. This is how God has been speaking about his people from the very beginning. In fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis, when God gives his first promise to Abraham about his people, this is what he says. This is Genesis 12.1. So the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families of earth will be blessed through you. So God's first promise about his people was about a people. It was about a nation. This is going to be for a group of believers. And if you're thinking, okay, that's neat. How does a many thousands of year old promise to a guy named Abraham and the Israelites connect with me as a bunch of Canadians in 2017? I'm glad you asked. Galatians 3.29 says, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So that promise that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis where God says, I'm going to give you a nation, that's us. We're still a part of it. It's still his plan. That was still his goal, that we would be a holy nation, a chosen people, that this was always going to be a community thing from the get-go. That's always been the point. In fact, right before Jesus died on the cross, he was in the garden and he was praying and and he prays this incredible prayer. But if you read it, you'll find out that he actually spends more time praying for his church than he does anything else. This is John 17, 18. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so the world will believe you sent me. So listen to this. He's saying, just as much as Father and Son were one, he says, may these followers of of me also be one with one another. To the same degree that God the Father and God the Son are united, he's saying that is my prayer for my church that they would be united as one. It's about a community. Jesus never prayed that we would find ourselves, that we would learn how to be ourselves. He prayed that we would be united. He prayed that we would be one as a community. And you, I mean, this is just crazy countercultural especially for all of us in this part of the world. So going all the way back to Genesis and all the way up to the time of Jesus and all the way up to the present day, our identity as God's people has been together. It has been a thing that we do together. So part of my identity is you guys. Part of your identity is me. (laughs) Isn't that the best news that you've heard in ages? As Some of you are looking around the room like, these people? These people are my identity? Yes. Um, Now, really, what I'm trying to say, and with the good news, is what that means is that for everyone here and for everyone anywhere who has felt left out and not good enough and not smart enough and not attractive enough and never measured up and didn't have what it take, welcome to your place and welcome to your people. That is what Jesus did for us. He said, I will take everyone, and I will give them a home, and I will give them purpose, and I will give them meaning. I will give them value. I created them. I know how valuable they are, and I called them into my home. He said, there is a place for everyone around my table. There is a place for everyone in my kingdom, and there is no one who who comes up to me and says, Jesus, I'd love to be in your kingdom. There isn't a single person he would look at and say no to. He says, stand at the door and knock and I'll open it. If you call on my name, you will be saved and you can be a part of this family and a part of this community but there is no one who doesn't make the cut. There is no one who's gone too far, done too many things, been too bad, said too much, lived a certain way, whatever it is. Jesus said, I'll let you into my family. Aren't you glad that, that you have a people and a place? Aren't you glad that it that wasn't up for vote by someone? Aren't you glad you don't get voted on? Aren't you glad you don't have to win the approval of your peers to make it to heaven, to have purpose, to have value? It comes from him. It comes from him, and we are part of this family together. And it's not only just that. It's not that we are a community of people together, but Jesus specifically prayed that our oneness, our unity, will actually show the world Jesus. He said, God, I pray that they would be one so that the world will believe in me. There is something about our unity as a church that shows the world Jesus. I mean, this is how important it is. This is how kind of linked this is to our identity. The world, when they look at us, if we're doing this well, will see Jesus. Our unity is evangelism. Our unity is glorifying God. So what does that mean for us, that we would have kind of community identity together? Well, for one thing, If our unity shows the world Jesus Christ, we should probably get pretty good at unity. Right? Now, listen, unity does not mean the same. Unity does not mean uniformity. Unity just means that we will take care of one another and love one another and build one another up because we will keep the main things, the main things about Jesus, and we will not let the secondary disagreement things be something that destroys our witness for him. How many times in the church has our secondary disagreements just destroyed our witness? Whoa, way too many times. How many times have Christians fought over Calvinism versus Arminianism and the whole world's watching going, I don't have an idea what this means, I don't care. But I see Christians fighting and that's dumb, don't want to be a part of that. We've got to be unified so that the world sees us, they will see, oh, those people, I would like to be a part of that. Those people know what it's like to be a family. They know what it's like to build one another up. Right? It means we put our kind of desires and preferences on the back burner if it helps us get to unity. That's a hard one for us. It means that we should speak well of one another. You should speak well of everyone in this room, of everyone at the theater, wherever you are watching this. You should speak well of one another. Right? There's no sense insulting the body of Christ if you're a part of it. Right? I sometimes feel like Christians forget that when you damage the body, you hurt yourself. We don't need to do that. Let's speak well of one another. Let's encourage one another more. Compliment five people on your way out today. Now that I told you to do that, it's not going to mean anything. Just so don't. Just don't. We should be encouraging one another in our faith. You should be praying for each other, right? Look, you sh- I should want you to be flourishing in your faith. You should want me to be flourishing in my faith. I know it's a little different. I'm your pastor. You look around this room, look around the theater, to all of these people. You should want them all to be growing in their faith. You should want them all to be flourishing in their faith. You should want what is best for them, and what that means is that sometimes you will have to do something to help them get there, because we're family because we take care of one another, because this matters. They're part of our identity. And so we are stronger together. I would love for Crosspoint to be a church that is marked by its unity. That, That when people see us, they would see Jesus because of the way we love each other, uplift each other, pray for each other, encourage one another, help each other when we're down visit one another when we're ill, that we would give to one another when we're in need, that we would help people kind of walk in their faith and grow. I want us to be a church where the world would look and they would know, I I bet I could go there and not feel left out. I bet I could go there and find a place. I bet I could go there and find my people. Because when we do this thing well as a unified body, the world will see Jesus. They will see Jesus. And so just as God chose us to be his people, our job now is to love one another. We are not gatekeepers for the kingdom of God. That is his job. It is our job to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself, and to be a unified body of believers so that the world can continue to see Jesus. We are a chosen people. That is good news for us and for the church amen amen let me pray for us today jesus we are so grateful that you chose us that you you called our names we did nothing to merit it uh we we are not necessarily worthy or deserving of all of the incredible things that you give us you have said you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing that is not because we are awesome it is because you are awesome And so, God, I pray that we would remember that, that part of our identity as believers is that we are part of a family. God, I pray for Crosspoint. I pray for everyone who calls this place home, whatever campus they attend, wherever and however frequently they can attend. God, I pray that you would unify us as a body, that you would remind us and encourage us to lift one another up, to build one another up, to take care of each other, to speak well of one another, And in doing so, may Fredericton look at us and see you. And may you continue to grow your kingdom and strengthen your people. You are good and we love you. We are blown away that you chose us to be a part of this family. And we thank you. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.